Hey everyone, uh, I'm glad this is working, finally. Um, my my big circle around me now is red and not gray, so maybe that had something to do with what they were working on last night, so I apologize uh, for having those tech problems. Um, this is episode 42, Federwrapped, and this is something I've wanted to go into for a while. I, I think um, our favorite shotgun Frankenstein Senate candidate in Pennsylvania or rather the media treatment of him has kind of deserved some special attention. Um, I don't live in Pennsylvania. I'm not familiar with a ton of what's going on there with voters. Um, but I do want to focus on the media. And, and, and no sooner did I have a podcast on this topic today did they all go ahead and prove me right once again. Uh, as I pretty much published my podcast today, which was mainly on the same topic, uh, you have NBC News now. Uh, one of their uh, tech reporters, which I guess they have 50 of, uh, is saying that doctored videos of Senate seat challenger John Fetterman exaggerate his speech issues post-stroke. And these videos went viral this week on Twitter and TikTok, bringing in hundreds of thousands of views. NBC goes on to contact TikTok and Twitter uh, in an attempt to get these videos removed, it would seem. And they're trying to do two things here. They're trying to get it removed under deceptive or edited video, uh, which neither of these are. They're edited montages. Nowhere uh, did the poster claim that this was one sentence. He said these were highlights. Um, and the other thing you're going to see, uh, and just based on me reading the story, is you're going to see people in the media attempt to get accounts banned under making fun of his disability now. 100%, this is where they're going to go. You are not going to be allowed to even mention his condition or his stroke on social media if uh, the uh, Taylor Lorenz clone army gets their way. And so this is kind of just ramped up now. It's entered a new phase. They're, of course, referring to Fetterman appearing at a abortion rally uh, on September 11th this past weekend, where several instances he had trouble speaking, he could not finish a thought, um, he was just yelling and making loud noises and glad there was no auditory problems or he would have gone loose and killed every man, woman, and child in the gymnasium. Um, and of course, sorry, that was a sneeze. Um, of course, there is nothing doctored about any of these videos. These are videos are showing his own words, his problem speaking, and, of course, speak to his cognitive ability to hold a U.S. Senate seat for six years. Um, we kind of all see what's going on. We, we see that they aren't posting clips. We see that the most you get out of the Fetterman campaign is photographs. And he's, you know, waving his arm around, whatever, at the villagers. And you're seeing one of the most deceptive political campaigns I've seen in my adult life in history where it's a deception to the voters. It's a deception to people who are viewing this stuff. It's a, it's a, it's a um, tactical strategy to keep him out of uh, public engagement as much as possible and kind of let his trollish social media team run the campaign for him. It worked for the president. So, and what I will say is it looks like it's possibly going to work this time. Um, some of you saw myself on Twitter have a go around with some of his biggest defenders, the socialist dirtbag left, etc., who somehow think that I have 
uh, a horse in this race. Um, and there's only one real horse, let's be honest. Um, and this isn't really about Oz. This isn't about Mehmet Oz or anything like that. I don't really care if Fetterman beats Oz. I think there's uh, strong messaging if that were to happen that perhaps the political right could learn from, specifically stop letting Donald Trump pick your celebrity candidates. Um, I did speculate today about what would possibly happen if Fetterman won. Would he actually serve out his six-year term? And I just, I kind of meandered and I kind of uh, hypothesized um, how his wife is kind of front and center in his campaign. She is in all the ads. The latest ad kind of, to me, confirms my hypothesis to a certain extent where she does most of the talking in the ad and you've seen her on the campaign trail, shield him from questions, shield him from interviewers. And my, my smoking hypothesis is that possibly he gets elected. He gets sworn in, maybe serves only a few months. And this is of course, is all predicated on the hope that Shapiro, the Democrat wins the governorship. And he is then replaced most likely by her. And then they can call a special election whenever they want. They, they, could, they could wait for the term to end, or they could call a new one, or what have you. Um, again, that's just a hypothesis based on what I've seen in the campaign with her sheltering over him as much as possible. Um, as I've said, I, I've never seen something like this in my life, where legitimate questions on somebody's fitness to serve in office is being completely trying to be now, it's not even hidden, it's we're going to try and get people banned from social media for simply pointing it out. Um, this is kind of a brave new world. And as I said, this is barreling toward, you know, idiocracy, where we're just, we have to allow, you know, a guy who's mentally not fit to serve, uh, become a US senator, because that's the nice thing to do it's, and leave him alone. He had a stroke. And anybody who's followed this knows nobody's glad he had a stroke. Nobody's sitting here cheering this on. But as long as Fetterman is going to be in this race, he's he's not running to be, you know, senator of the Make-A-Wish Foundation here. And as long as he's going to be in the race and as long as his social media team is going to continue to take on this no punches, we can throw any punch we want. But the second you throw one back, it's how dare you? I'm a stroke victim. And we're not going to stop doing that because of that. The other incident, of course, goes back to his days as mayor of Braddock, where he thought he heard gunshots and he jumped in his truck with a 12-gauge shotgun and literally chased down an innocent black man jogging. Um, he held him at gunpoint, and I played this clip today of the news segment on my podcast, and the black man says he pointed the shotgun right at his chest. Fetterman says that's a lie. So he's calling the black jogger a liar. And everything about this is so perfect to me because it shows you that they don't care. The whole Black Lives Matter thing, it, it evaporates the second it's their guy. Um, and it's also been memory hold the second he got the nomination. And why the Oz campaign somehow does not use this clip every day on social media or in ads is beyond me. Um, people have speculated Oz won't attack his health because he's a doctor. And doing so will, of course, make him look bad. And, and again, I would argue there are ways to do it and there are ways or not. Um, Fetterman finally agreed to a debate by saying uh, October 25th. And if you know anything about Pennsylvania, I don't know a ton, but I know they have early voting. And that is long after early voting has started. Um, he's, he's demanded conditions for the debate. One is closed captioning. Um, two is 
a couple of rehearsals. So uh, he wants to run through his rehearsals. And uh, Oz, the campaign Oz, has basically said we're okay with that, but he can't be given questions he would he would uh, have to answer during a debate. If I'm the Oz campaign, I would agree to um, rehearsals for Fetterman, but he has to be filmed the entire time, unedited. You have to allow somebody from the Oz campaign to film it and to sit on it. And of course, we know they won't do that. And so you have all of these things happening. And just like I said, maybe it's um, my impeccable sense of timing and my gut instinct that makes me so good at things like this. Um, but right today, you have NBC News running cover for him. Uh, we did surprisingly have the Washington Post come out with an editorial after photos surfaced of him without his neck scarf with some kind of large protrusion on the back of his head and his neck, which could be anything, but he won't answer what it is because he will also release his medical records. And that's something that the Washington Post took him to task on. Um, I would argue he, he thinks he's winning the race. The people with him think they are winning. All of this is noise. Why answer any of it? Why debate? Why do any of that? And like I said, there's a good possibility he does actually win. And then things get real interesting from there on out. I speculated on Twitter what happens if uh, you have a one-split Senate or a two-vote Senate and Fetterman misreads legislation, doesn't hear something, he's, he's cognitively impaired, and he accidentally votes <laughs> against the wishes of the party or whatever. Do we, do we recall legislation? Do we have to recall a vote? Do we have to scratch it out for him because he's a stroke victim? There's a lot of questions here. And there's also questions about how the media chose to cover uh, another person uh, with a stroke who was an Illinois senator, I believe it was Mark Kirk, um, who basically called him unfit to serve because after his stroke. And so we've seen precedents of this. We once again see them up to their old tricks. And once again, it's the same 20-something-year-old tech squad, Taylor Lorenz clone army, now running interference and calling uh, videos of his own words doctored and uh, fake videos. And nothing in those videos is fake. Everything in there is exactly the words Fetterman was speaking at the time. Um, but you're seeing it. You're seeing essentially the fixes in and we're supposed to just tolerate it. So that's the topic tonight. If you're in Pennsylvania, I kind of want to hear from you. Um, I don't want to go too late because it's already I started later than I've because I've been dealing with fucking StubHub all day for five and a half hours. And I, 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 I hate the band that I was going to get tickets to. Like, I don't want to listen to them ever again now. So that's kind of my mood. But um, I want to hear your thoughts on all of this, observations, things maybe I've missed. Um, again, if you're in Pennsylvania, I'm curious what media coverage there is like. Do you see this? As I said today, my biggest thing is this is just pure deception. It's deception of the voters. It's a deceptive campaign that is attempting to shield a candidate away because of his health issues. Um, I, I look at this and say, again, it, it's an unfortunate incident. Nobody wishes he had a stroke. Nobody thinks he deserved a stroke. Nobody uh, is, is looking at it this way. I think most people, the attitude is he should get out and get well. And that, to me, is not predictive on, you know, wanting Oz to win a Senate seat. I don't care about that. Um, what I care about is a very clear effort to obfuscate what's happening with this candidate who clearly, clearly is uh, unwell and unfit to serve. So that's my setup for the night. Uh, I'll try to go probably an hour or a little bit over or until I have callers. I'll try to get everybody in, but it is late for some of us already. Um, again, I would just note, um, if you have a point, if you're in line to call, just kind of be 
be mindful. You have people behind you. Sometimes, sometimes people go longer than others just because we're having a conversation and that's just the way it goes. Uh, but just be mindful that there are people behind you. And then also, if you can mute your microphone when you're not speaking, just uh, it makes it more pleasurable auditory experience for those of us who might otherwise go apeshit and kill everyone should we hear auditory noises. Um, and so it just makes it better for the listener and it helps me focus a little bit more. It's it's a me thing. I get distracted easily. So this is episode 42, Federwrapped. I already see some usuals lined up there. Um, so we'll just go through until I have, uh, probably for about an hour or until I run out of callers, whichever. So again, thanks for your patience from yesterday. Uh, thanks for your patience for my hectic week this week. Uh, Joe, you're up. Hey, Stephen. So I do live in this godforsaken state and I have to live through this godforsaken election for both Senate and governor. We just pick some absolute winners at the top of the ticket here, but such is such is the way it is. Um, I do actually want to um, issue some suburb corrections real quick. So the ad with the jogger, the black jogger with Fetterman, they tried that in the Democratic primary. So his two opponents in the primary was Connor Lamb. Um, the congressman, and Malcolm Kenyatta, who is a black gay um, state rep from Philadelphia. I think it was Kenyatta's campaign that actually um, <clears throat> began running the, the, the ad with the jogger, and it had, like, no effect. Um, the only effect that it really did have was it kind of diminished his margins in Philadelphia for the primary results. Um and I did also want to say that, like, with the Oz campaign, with that particular ad, they actually are running with it, but just in the Philadelphia market. And it's not really a goal to necessarily get votes from Philadelphia, but it's to depress his black turnout in Philadelphia. So I think that's part of the larger goal, I think. So they are running with it just in that market. So I just wanted to clarify that very quickly. Um and, Do you uh, think? But so one of my questions is: are, You're trying to reach a different electorate in a general election than you are in a primary. I guess, I guess is the way I would look at it. And Oz right now is having trouble mobilizing Republican voters. He's doing okay with independents, um, and this is just based on everything I've read this week as I kind of polished up for this. Um, so I guess that would be my counter argument: is yes, in a primary. Um, but you're, you're, re you're, you're going after a bigger electorate in a general. And I guess I look at this and I say, or at the very least, you should, you can bring this up in a debate and then watch his eyeball pop out of his head and he just falls over, you know, that he unchains himself and then tries to eat Oz or something. Um, so I guess that would be my counter argument, but again, you'd be more familiar with the electorate there than I would be. Well, I think it's, I think what it is, I think what the strategy is, is if you compare and contrast Oz and Mastriano's campaign, who's running for governor, it's appealing to two different groups within the Republican electorate. Oz's whole, yes, Oz's issue is with the Republican base. Oz is really running the same kind of campaign that Toomey ran in 2016, which is trying to win back as many of the suburban Republican voters as possible. Mastriano is the ultimate MAGA candidate. He doesn't have an issue at all with the Republican base. His issues are with independence. 
I mean, for Christ's sakes, he was at January 6th. Um, so like you actually could not get two more temperamentally different people sharing a ticket for, um, for governor and Senate this year. I think that's kind of what the strategy is. So Oz, I think is looking at getting some more soft R and independent support. Mastriano is kind of trying to get that. I mean, I guess we should count ourselves fortunate that he doesn't come out and release a statement every day saying that, you know, we, we should imprison LGBT people immediately in the state and set up FEMA camps or anything like that. But Oz, that that is the campaign that Oz is running is, you know, a lot more somewhat down the middle. And um, it might not be quite as fire and brimstone as the base wants or would be right for the moment, because I think it would be. But I think that's kind of the calculation on his part. Do I think it's perfect? No. Um, I will say that I think that Oz has kind of found his sea legs a little bit within the past couple of weeks. Um, you kind of get the impression that they were trying to find a voice um, after winning the primary where it just like his, his Twitter presence was just extremely awkward. He didn't know what message to come down on. And it kind of feels like he started to hit a stride in the past couple of weeks. Um, so I just think putting it in contrast with the campaign that Mastriano is running or lack thereof, depending on who you believe, um, I think that's what explains it. Um, what about my harebrained theory that Oz doesn't serve a full six-year term? Should he, should he be sworn in? If Fetterman doesn't serve a full year term? I'm sorry, if Fetterman. So... <laughs> I think, I mean, honestly, um, from, from, from some of the readings that I've done with his specific condition, because he's got a pacemaker, um, his, he might not even live. He might not even live the six year term, not, not to get like morbid, but, um, that's like a very real possibility. He might not live to see the end of it. And regarding his wife, um, I kind of had the same thought this whole time. The only thing is, is that um, I don't know how close him and Shapiro are. Fetterman has never been particularly well-liked by the Democratic establishment in the state. Um, and this goes way back. He, um, like, even when he, when he won the lieutenant governorship, um, the state party did, did, does not like him. There's a lot of elected officials that don't like him. Um, Tom Wolf, our current governor, was just like, yeah, cool, you're better than my previous lieutenant governor, you'll do. I don't know that there's necessarily a whole lot of love, and I don't know if that relationship extends to Josh Shapiro, if he were to win, um, you know, how he feels about him. But I could see it. I could absolutely see it. Am I going to bank on it? I don't know. I have a feeling that Shapiro might might be looking at, if that were to happen, one of the southeastern Pennsylvania congresswomen. Um, to uh, to fill that um, uh, to, to to take that place, if, if I had to guess. Uh, one last thing, I'll ask you what what would you? So there's several polls, and I know this isn't my wheelhouse at show. Basically, Fetterman is up by plus four, plus five, plus six in, in that range. What would you do if you were Oz as far as debating? Would you would you uh, step up attacks on the fact he won't debate? What what would you do if I put you in charge of Oz's campaign for the next week? Dear God, I'd put a gun in my head, probably. 
Um, I would um, not an option. <laughs> we're all stuck here. In, we're all stuck in this purgatory yeah. together. I'm sorry. Yeah, there is there, there is no. And it's my show. This. I know. I know. I know. Um, yes, I would. I would absolutely just keep hammering this. Um, I would probably even just venture off into the uncomfortable territory. Or honestly, I think this is what he's doing. I think he's outsourcing the more negative attacks that he might feel a little queasy about to the NRSC or any kind of super PACs to basically take the videos of Fetterman just, you know, stumbling and warbling his way through a speech. I would absolutely just do do a lot more of those. What Oz has really been hitting Fetterman on is crime. And it just and this year Philadelphia is on pace for record murders, in case that was even possible. Um so that I mean that seems but to Philadelphia work yeah I mean Philadelphia parts of Pennsylvania have always been high in crime. People in voting blocks get used to living in those conditions and voting for the same people. So I, I don't know how much that attack hits like the Pittsburgh suburbs and I might be totally wrong here but you know, cr- crime around Pennsylvania and I know his own record is completely ridiculous and erratic and things like that but Crime to me is an issue in places where it didn't used to be an issue. Philadelphia has been the fucking capital of murder now for years and years and years, um, which would be, I mean, I guess people could tolerate it more if their sports teams were any worth a shit, but they don't. So I guess I look at that and I, I'm like, I think that that's a muted attack. No, I don't think people in Philadelphia care. Like, you know, there's crime rising around you and people in Philadelphia just go, yeah, yeah, it's kind of what happens here. I have a friend who lives in Philadelphia and he's not quite to the point of moving, but that's kind of how he is. He's just like, ah, you know, we chose to live here. And I'm just like, you're going to get, cho- you're going to get chosen to, sh- to get shot there too while you're at it. So I'm not debating you. I'm just saying I don't know how much of a potent issue that is in places like Philadelphia, where they just kind of have learned to accept it. Yeah, I think I think it's more so. It's not just like Philadelphia, but it's also like Fetterman's own approach with criminal justice and how like just incredibly lenient he is with like life sentences, murderers, and things of that nature. Like and how he kind of does surround himself with a lot of criminals. Um, both, you know, uh, for former criminals, whatever they are. I think that like, that is kind of part of the message where it's not just like Philadelphia, but it's kind of going back to that suburban, you know, the outside counties around Philadelphia, those soft R's who didn't pull the lever for Trump were more comfortable with Biden. But when they see these headlines and they see these stories about rising crime, they get a little squeamish because they're like, Oh shit, that's going to come into our community. So I think it's more of like a, um, uh, like an at the borders effect. So I think, I think that that's what it is. But yes, um, going back to the, um, what would I do? Yeah, I would absolutely step up, uh, step up the attacks on that. Um, I mean, Fetterman, to be completely honest, he's, he's a Bernie Sanders style candidate. That is, that is his worldview. He's not, he's not a Biden style candidate. He is a Bernie Sanders style candidate. He was actually one of the first people to endorse Sanders in 2016, which was also the first time that he ran for Senate. Um, and I would just like keep keep kind of hammering that home and tie him to Biden a lot more because um, he's his approval rating is still underwater in the state. Um, Oz is honestly closer to the median Pennsylvania voter than Fetterman is, but he has his own problems and what this election is really going to come down to. I'm not going to say the turnout joke, but 
can, can his own unfavorables overcome the environment, um, the environment within the state, because we certainly did not pay our best for the top of the ticket, but it might not matter. We might have Governor Mastriano and Senator Oz. We might have Governor Shapiro and Senator Fetterman. Um, so it's it's honestly, it's a coin flip. I, I really think that right now it's a, it's a coin flip for Senate. That was going to be my last question for you. I was going to kick you off is in your gut. Who do you think wins that race? And do you think the media has a, has a pull in any of this? Do you see the kind of campaign that they're doing working for him to just kind of cover up and you can't talk about his stroke? I don't know what local media is doing there. Um, but uh, in your gut, what do you think? I won't hold it against you later. No, no, it's no, you can absolutely hold it against me later. <laughs> in, in my gut, and I know like Varad Mehta has been on a crusade about this with polls and because he, he also lives in um, Pennsylvania, suburban Philly. Um, in my gut, I think the winner of this race is going to win by like half a percentage point. I think just based on the fundamentals of everything, based on how little the, the, the state voted to the right of the country and um, in 2020. I think Oz is going to be able to fix a lot of his problems with the Republican base because he honestly has been, from what I've been reading and seeing, pounding the pavement in especially a lot of the rural counties. I do think that rally that he held with Trump, um, uh, it was I think it was like before Labor Day weekend, I think that that did help him a little bit. Um, I just think that he needs to just basically keep it in stride and yeah, gun to my head today. I think he wins by less than a percentage point. I think it's going to be Oz that, that ultimately does prevail. Uh, okay. How are you guys doing on baby formula? As, <laughs> as we're, as we're hitting and I'm going to be writing about this Amtrak thing tomorrow at, uh, Washington Examiner. It's you have Amtrak Joe, and then you have a transportation secretary who really loves choo-choo trains. And now we're going to have another supply chain crisis due to unions. So I hope you're I hope you're well stocked up on that stuff still. Oh yes, yes. Thank you for asking. Yeah, we're well stocked, and um, our daughter is now um, transitioning to um, to normal food slowly but surely. But uh, yeah, we are we are quite well stocked with the foreign bill as well. Oh, that's good to hear. So. Uh, I'll, I'll give you one last final thought, and then I gotta kick you. Oh no, that's uh, that, that, that's pretty much all I got. Thanks for uh, thanks for uh, taking me. Thanks for letting me ramble about uh, about the state. And uh, <laughs> no, I did, like I said, I wanted I want to hear from Pennsylvanians. Uh, is that what it is, Pennsylvanians, Transylvanians? Uh, yeah, vein, vein. Yeah, yeah, Transylvania, Pennsylvania. It's all the same. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, I'll talk to you later, Joe. All right. See you, Stephen. Uh, David, what kind of kooky, crazy situation have you cooked up for me regarding John Fetterman's <laughs> wife taking the Senate seat? <laughs> By the way, I think that's uh, I think it's a brilliant theory. I mean, it's, again, you know, who's to say if if there is a basis for it? But it sounds plausible to me. I mean, I'm not, I don't go in for conspiracy theories, but that's the sort of thing that does strike me as as plausible. So, yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm on board. I'm, I'm behind it. I, it, uh, and it would it would be depressing if they start pulling those kinds of dick moves. But I don't think that's 
that's beneath uh, the Democrats or, frankly, the Republicans these days. Um, but I wanted to ask you a question, um, or I wanted to get you to kind of weigh in on on what this says, what the fact that this guy, Fetterman, is actually up in this race, what this says about where we are culturally. And I'll tell you what I mean. If I, you know, if I arrived at work one day and uh, I was told by a coworker, you know, uh, hey, Dave, we, before you got here, we took a vote. Uh, we were deciding on whether or not to, uh, to cut your dick off with a pair of garden shears. And good news, it was 18 to 16 in your favor. So you get to keep your dick. I would say, I mean, I'd be of two minds. On the one hand, I'm glad I get to keep my dick. But on the other hand, I'd be furious it was that close. That's the sort of thing that should not be close. The fact that this Fetterman guy, the fact that there are millions of people in Pennsylvania that could be deliberating, that ha- that could have to deliberate on whether or not to send a guy in his condition to Washington, the fact that that would be preferable to them over any Republican, I think says a lot about where we are culturally. And I want you to kind of speak to that point, if you would. I think they look at Fetterman as, as for now at least, uh, a room temperature body that can just, you know, when called to vote, can just, and that's it. And that's all they care about and that's all they want. And they think, I think that they think they can skate by on the rest. Um, you know, like a six year Senate term is not just showing up and voting. I mean, there's committee ships in there. Are they just not going to put him on those? Is, you know, there's legislation to sponsor. There's, you know, tons and tons of things that involve being a senator. I guess my other flip side of that is really if, if any dumb brain damaged Frankenstein idiot can be a United States senator, then we need to seriously cut back on the amount of staffers that we pay with taxpayer money for these offices. And so that's kind of my other thought about it is like, maybe, maybe he can, maybe he can just go in and be a, you know, a a senator and and do fine at this and handle the stresses and the rigors and, and all of this stuff. And maybe he's fine in the end and great. Um, but if that's what it is, if, like I said, if any, anyone who's been impaired cognitively uh, to the point of, you know, not being able to really speak without a prompter or closed captioning can do this job, then maybe it's not a very important job after all. So I'm, a, I'm kind of of two minds on that. Um, I think it really just, it comes down to he had momentum and then he won and then he had a stroke and he was gone for three months. So he's the candidate. I think it speaks more to the people around Fetterman who are like, no, we we don't want you to drop out. We don't, we want you to keep doing this. And I think that that speaks more to the kind of craven power that they have. And like I said, I'm not asking them to to jump in and vote for Oz. I think it speaks to, you know, the Oz candidacy the same way. Um, But there are other options out there and you could even have Fetterman pick them or, you know, he can point, he can point to their faces on a guess who board or some shit. uh, So it's easy for him to understand um, but I think it speaks more to the people around him who are like, you know, go home, take care of your family, you know, like, like you're kind of the guy that they need here and you're the father. And, um, the fact that you're out here still doing this again, speaks more to the structure around him than I think it does him. 
Um, and, and that, again, when I say that this is a deception, it's not just Fetterman that's doing this, okay? He has a staff that's okay with this. They, he has spokespeople and a campaign director that are okay bearing videos of his condition because they all want that fucking Senate seat and they all want to be staffers and they all want that promotion. They all want that on their resume. Um, and as I said today in my podcast, he's going to go to Washington and, you know, should he win, he's going to go and there's going to be people around him that are going to take advantage of his cognitive abilities because that's what fucking Washington is. It's taking advantage of everyone's cognitive abilities there. Um, and so I look at this and I just say, when I say that this is a mass deception, it is. It's, it's on the part of the people pushing him. It's on the part of the people that want him doing this. Uh, maybe he is. He's out here just saying, I can do this and I can win and, and all of this stuff. And then they wipe the drool from his chin and go, okay, let's go. Um, but again, it is a mass deception occurring against the voters of the state. And it's in part to do with both, I think, a local and a national media who just see this fucking vegetable Frankenstein guy is a more viable option than any Republican. And that puts also into context, this mud democracy talking point that Biden has picked up. Um, and this is a good example of that. It's, it's the, the whole democracy thing that Biden has picked up. And then pe- members of the media have picked up obviously from it and taken their marching orders um, is that any Republicans winning now is a threat to the, is a threat to the Republic. Like any of them, win. If, if a governor wins in Pennsylvania, you know, Trump's going to steal that state in three years or DeSantis will. And if, and if they win in Georgia, they're going to steal that state. And then Arizona, they're going to steal that state. And as I've said, you, you idiots, if Joe Biden keeps going on this road, he, then no Republican's going to have to steal anything. They're going to win 40 states. And that will still be deemed a threat to democracy, by the way. So do you, so I, I agree with all of that, but so, but just to get back to one thing I was asking you a moment ago, do you then think Steve, that his high poll numbers are more a reflection of the voters in that state being kept in the dark by, uh, you know, his crafty campaign people than it is absolute cultural derangement on the part of the voters? You think, I think it's, it's more, prob- I think it's probably both. Um, I think, I think, you know, a lot of people, it's a midterm election. They're not even paying attention to it really. So they might catch it on the news, but how much, how much news of his stroke and, and clips of him speaking, which you have NBC trying to get removed. They're trying to get clips of this guy talking now removed from social media. And as I said, they're, tr- they're first trying to do it under the guise of uh, deceptive video. They're deceptively edited and they're doctored, which they aren't. Um, and then I think the second reason they're going to try to get him removed is making fun of his disability. And so I think part of it is there's just Pennsylvania is kind of a purple state. So you're gonna, he's going to have a voting block simply because he's the nominee. Um, even people who didn't maybe want to vote for him are still going to vote for him because he's the Democratic nominee. So you're going to have a percentage of the voters that are going to vote for you anyway. And then you're going to have independents who are going to say, you know, I don't, I don't like this, you know, drooling, yelling Frankenstein, but he's better than the, than the fake celebrity doctor. Um, and they don't want to deal with Trump's shit anymore. So it's like, no, nah, I'm not dealing with this. So maybe they stay home or maybe that's why they vote for Fetterman because they just say, at least you also have a strong union state. And so any candidate there that's, you know, running on union and Fetterman has said that in, 
if you watch him talk now, he has like a set of five or six canned talking points that he falls back on. And one of them is, is I'm every time I vote, it's going to be a pro-union voter. You'll have a friend of labor in, in Washington. And I, I live across from a steel mill. And that's kind of all he can remember at this point. Um, so because it's a purple estate, you're going to have a competitive race. Um, and as far as culturally, I, I said it today, this, this to me and a little bit with Herschel Walker in Georgia is barreling toward idiocracy. I, you know, we hit a good chunk of it when we elected Biff um, from Back to the Future 2. And then we hit it again when we elected an, a 79-year-old dementia patient. And so if these are the standards where it's now going to be for the U.S. Senate, which is a stroke victim or a guy with CTE who, who doesn't like trees very much, um, then, yeah, I, I just look at it and say they're lowering the standards on purpose. So it's now it's you don't even have to have the cognitive abilities to serve in the U.S. Senate now because, hey, who cares? He's just going to be an up or down vote for whatever the Democrats want. Um, and as I said with George and Eric Erickson pointed out where I think that, they're you know, there, there is issues with Herschel Walker and his past and his legal record and things like that. But if you look at the way the two campaigns are covered nationally in our, in our media, you can see it's clear as day. It's one of these perfect examples right now where it's clear as day. You see the agenda bias happening in real time in front of your face. They are literally, I don't want to say gaslighting you, but they're just trying to, they're just trying to not show you this guy. We're only going to show you photos of him. And then of course his campaign sends out videos where Fetterman appears at a rally and then they cut it off right before he talks. So again, I don't know how much there is a purposeful deception happening with Herschel Walker, for instance. Um, I think Herschel Walker is just also—he's also a popular guy in Georgia. He's a football legend, which is why Trump pushed him. But he's also a motivational speaker, and so he doesn't get enough credit from the media for his ability to hold a crowd's attention. And we've seen that Walker's now pulled ahead of Warnock in Georgia. So the fact that I think you could end up setting both Walker and Fetterman to the U.S. Senate is probably a wash. It's like, hey. You know, you you got your, your giant head injury guy and we got our giant head injury guy. And let's just have a wrestling match for the fate of the Republic and see who wins. Um, so I, I just I think there's a lot that plays into it. Part of it's just his base, part of his voters who don't like Oz. And they're going to have voters that same way. You're going to have voters who are like, you know what? I don't like Oz, but I'm not going to throw my vote away on a guy who might be dead in six months or resigns his seat. Um, and so as far as culturally, that's just where we're headed. We, it is the dumbing down of society and it's dumbing down of institutions. And there's one team that is basically allowed to get away with it and one that is not. I know you're exactly right. And, and you're right, too. Idiocracy is looking more and more like a documentary uh, every day. Uh, all right. Well, look, there's other Davids behind me. Uh, you rock, sir. Keep up the great work and I'll talk to you again. Thanks, David. Other David, you're up. Go ahead. Hello? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I got you. Um, okay. Um, yeah, just uh, one thing I've noticed with the Spider-Man, and you just, you literally just said it, um, was the uh, the coverage with Herschel Walker and him, and it's just so weird because the thing with Herschel Walker, he's either two things. either has CTE, and he's not there. Or some of the stuff that he says, you can, like he talks like a person from from um, from uh, backwoods Georgia. 
um, which is the very opposite of what a lot of journalists are. And then John Fetterman, the reason why journalists love him so much, he is a person who who is them, somebody who came from very privileged, um, a very privileged upbringing, and basically has done nothing with his life uh, up until you know he's been a professional youthless person, which is what Shapiro, Ben Shapiro says a lot about you know certain politicians. But you can see the disconnect with the the way the media coverage and then you know obviously the one's a Republican one's a Democrat uh but it, it it's now starting to move on to where the media is actively not trying to cover Fetterman and they want to amplify and they want Herschel Walker to talk more. And um you know some of the like some of the stuff that uh Herschel Walker says is crazy uh for some people. But it's nothing what what uh, what Fetterman says. Some of the stuff that Fetterman says. <laughs> Yeah, I like your point about he talks like he's just from backwoods, Georgia. He's just kind of like, you know, a football athlete guy. Um, it's not to say he's uneducated or anything like that, but I think what's interesting is, again, this is a guy who's done motivational speaking for years and years. And so uh, do I think Herschel Walker should be a Senate candidate? No, I don't. Not at all. But that's that's what they decided to do at, at the pushing of Trump. And make no mistake, I mean, Walker and Oz are Senate candidates because of Trump, almost 100%. And that's different than Trump just endorsing someone, for instance. Um, you are right about Fetterman in the sense of this is a guy who's pretty much his only job has ever just been public office and someone who lived off his family and his name and his wealth for 30 years of his life. And... <laughs> Again, the hipster hoodies and the tattoos and, and all of that stuff. Um, and I don't even care Like when people are like, does this guy own a suit? Whatever. And so I don't even really care about that. I mean, who cares? It is playing a part. Um, we had this report today. He didn't disclose eight properties for a total of $100,000. And then you have to ask what kind of shit, like, and they are. They're just like empty lots that he bought around his house. Um, which I kind of respect that. I respect the ability to buy up all the, all of your neighbor's property and, and then not move them in and just be like, leave me alone in my cave, in my bell tower. Um, so you do make a point. That, yeah. Fetterman is a, you know, is an upper East coast. Um, and he is an elitist. He can, he can dress in fucking dicky shorts and hoodies all he wants, but he is. And he carries the Bernie Sanders message and the union message and, and journals just eat that shit up. And I do agree with you on the on the sense of Herschel Walker and the coverage, um, but again, I think Erickson's right. You just these are two comparable examples of two candidates with you know some damage there. Whatever that damage is, I don't know. We know what it is with Fetterman and Herschel Walker might just be that guy. I don't know, or it's CTE or something. And you do see a, just a clean, a clear cut difference in how these people are covered. Um, there, there's nobody trying to like get clips of Herschel Walker banned from the internet that is happening now by journalists. And like I said, the Taylor Lorenz tech reporter clone army is on top of this beat. And their goal is to just basically get you to stop posting clips of this guy that the campaign itself, unless the campaign itself releases. So they've ramped it up. And like I said, the timing of it couldn't have been better. It's just me. Um, And, but it is, you're going to enter another stage of our media where you're not even allowed to talk about his stroke. That is where this is going. And to see if an account gets banned, it could be mine. 
because let's face it, I, he's a funny looking Quasimodo giant guy where if you move, uh, if you move in the wrong direction too fast because it's dart, um, he's going to kill every single person in the room. So um, jokes like that, they're going to get you banned off Twitter now if you even mention his stroke. And that's what the point of these tech reporters at NBC are doing. Um, and so, again, I've, I've just never seen anything like this in my life. I've never seen a campaign run like this. I mean, maybe kind of Biden, but Biden was covid um, but they're really banking on that strategy. They're really banking on just keeping this guy as out of, as out of the public as possible, which is why they keep turning down debates and then putting special conditions on debates. And then when you go, this is unacceptable, they go, oh, he's had a stroke. And, um, I just, I've never seen something like this before in my life. It's, it's something for politics. And like I said, if he wins, there's going to be a lot of lessons that we're going to learn from it. Yeah. I, I just don't, I, um, I don't see why uh, they need to cover him this way. He's worse than Biden. Like when when Biden was running in 2020, they hit him, you know, pretty much all 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 summer under the guise of COVID. But they're they're hiding him even more, and COVID's gone. They're not using COVID anymore uh, as a cover. They're using whatever it is. They're they're playing they're playing keep away um, with uh, Fetterman. And it's more aggressive than what they've done with Biden Biden, and what they're doing with Biden. Uh, he's in worse shape than Biden is. Like, he's – and it's just um, – Yeah, just, I uh, think – I mean, with Fetterman, it's more concrete because you have a an actual diagnosed issue. So with, with Fetterman, we know that it was a stroke. We know that it almost killed him. We know that why he was away, except he also lied about the severity of it. He said, I'm going to be back in a week or two, and it wasn't. And so that's the other part of this deception. That's what the Washington Post called out to their credit, which was you're not releasing your medical records. You've lied to voters about your condition. You've lied to voters about your timeline for a return. Are you lying about your ability to get better? Um, what, el- why aren't, what, what else are you hiding on this? And with Biden, there's the insinuation that this is a guy, you know, a borderline sundown syndrome, but we don't have a medical diagnosis of this. So it's all just based on like, what's, what's he doing? Like, he, oh, grandpa's leaving. He's wandering over there. Um, and so, and of course, we all make jokes at that expense as well. Um, but I would argue it's worse. It's worse with Fetterman because we know we we know the actual condition. We know we we see with our eyes and ears and we hear the, the cognitive disability that, he's, that he has. And still you have a media who's like, Nope, we're going to, we're going to drag this lumbering oaf across the finish line, whether you like it or not. And, and the health of our democracy and his ability to be a United States Senator uh, is irrelevant. Uh, David, I'll give you the last word and I'm going to kick you out. Uh, yeah, just uh, another thing on the BYU front. It just seems like ESPN and other media, com- sports media companies, are just gonna keep on rolling. No apologies, no retractions, no nothing, no consequences. Um, uh, well, that's that's what they did at here, BYU. So everybody forget about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Thanks, David. Yeah, moving on. Uh, moving on to Ian. I'm going to kind of try to speed through. Uh, we'll wrap up with uh, my trader in Kanadistan, Chris. Go ahead, Ian. Thanks, Stephen. So I've been following this fairly closely because I went to school 20 miles from the Pennsylvania border, and uh, I have plenty of friends from Pennsylvania. A couple, 
a couple that still live there. And uh, I think that the way you're looking at it might be different from how a lot of people are looking at it, which is that they actually see it as a positive that he won't be able to serve out his full term. And the I think a lot of the Dem voters aren't looking at it as, well, he, he's just going there to be a, a guaranteed vote. They see it as, we know he will not be the person that is serving as the senator. So we are trusting that Shapiro will replace him. And so they don't see Fetterman as the Democratic nominee. They see generic, uh, generic D as the nominee which is why it might be, uh, which is why Oz isn't doing as well as you would think he would be doing, because nobody, it's possible that nobody actually has faith that Fetterman is going to serve out his term. Um, I think there's a lot to that, that he's just basically, as, as I said, for now, the, the semi-warm body holding that position. Um, as I've alluded to that, um, Again, that's my limited knowledge of Pennsylvania politics, but I actually I think there's a lot to that, that it's not so much what he's standing for, what he's saying, um, the issues that he's for, that he's just basically generic D body for now. And then you win the seat and then we'll replace it, you know, should he die? The funniest thing about that is that's, again, the power structure who's just basically willing to sacrifice this dude's health and life just to get the Senate seat because of what kind of close year it is. And it's that power grab at all costs kind of thing. And I think that that's a huge undercovered part of the story is that just the people around him are like, nope, we're going to get you in that fucking seat no matter what. Even if you're, you know, if we have to fake, if we have to fake you like young Frankenstein, you know, Igor and uh, Dr. Frankenstein doing the arms and legs while the constable comes by, then that's what we're going to do. Um, and so I, I, I agree. And I think that there's a lot to that where it, it might not even be his wife, but you know, next year, sometime it's stepped down, you have the seat. And again, that depends on the governor. If Mastriano wins and there's no way, then, I mean, he, cause Mastriano is not going to appoint a Democrat into that seat. So I mean, I that's, just, that's I why, see... that's why kind of the governor's race is also so important along these lines. And nobody's really talking about that. I just don't see how Mastriano makes it in without Oz making it over to the finish line is the only reason why I think, and I think that's the general consensus is that no one, Mastriano is trailing Shapiro by more than Oz is trailing Fetterman. So if enough Trumpsters show up to get Mastriano elected, then the idea is that they'll be able to push Oz over because I think Joe was the one saying it earlier uh, he claimed that the issue that Oz has is with the Trump-based voters. I think that that's completely incorrect. I think Do- Oz's issue is with the people that don't follow po- politics very closely, because I have a I have a couple friends in Pennsylvania who don't follow politics very closely, and one of them in particular just said she like I don't think she could name Fetterman, Shapiro, or Mastriano. She's like, I don't like Dr. Oz. He's a TV quack. Like, he is not, like, he's a doctor that goes on and is basically a reality TV show host. And so it's it's that sort of negative idea that has him working from behind the eight ball with the independent voters of trying to convince people 
to give him a chance and that he's not just another like another reality TV show host like Trump. Yeah, and I think that that again is always the lesson that if if Walker loses, if Oz loses two very winnable races, then uh, what's it going to take for people to just be enough to be done with this, have enough of it? Of course, I said today on my podcast, you know, the ultimate thing that happens is Oz loses but Walker wins, and so we're stuck in this fucking purgatory uh, forever. That is that is the uh, revolving twenty sixteen election, and that's most likely could end up happening. So it's like, Oh, well, Walker won. So that was a good pick. And then, uh, but Oz didn't. So that one's bad, but then people somehow move on and they have the memories of goldfish. So, um, yeah, like I said, just to kind of wrap up, I, I think there's a lot to the series that Fetterman is just basically, you know, for everything that he is, he's a Pennsylvania guy. And, you know, Oz is a millionaire house doctor who just wants to play Senator, um, and whatever. But ultimately, I think that there's a lot to the theory that Fetterman's ultimately just um, a semi-cold body there to hold and occupy the space. So I, th- I think that you're onto something there, and we'll find out. Yeah, and uh, it's getting late. I'll probably just leave a comment asking about what the fuck you think Lindsey Graham is thinking uh, for tomorrow's podcast, because that was the other thing I wanted to talk about. But. It's already getting to 1030 and you've got about five or six more people left on the queue. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think it's interesting that Pence leaned into it. Um, I think that our media is extremely unrepresentative of the fact that pro-life women vote too. And you're not seeing that at all. And I think that this idea that there's going to be a blue wave because of Roe v. Wade supporters. Um, okay. I, I, I don't think that that's the issue. We saw this with, you know, Matt Gorman on Sunday where he's like, this isn't even a top four issue for most families. Uh, it might be an issue for like 20 something, you know, metropolitan uh, BuzzFeed journalists and living in New York city, but that, that isn't the demographic that votes. And so I'm sure it energized the base a little bit of the Democrats um, but I don't think it energized maybe the right base and who actually will remember that there's an election today as opposed to going to brunch. Um, and I also think that you see it every year. You see how the media ignores the March for Life on the D.C. Mall, and it's just thousands and thousands of people, and those people vote too. So that's kind yeah, of what I'm, I think about it. I don't I, – I think it's I – thought, I thought the timing is dumb. You should the, the focus should be on Biden and the economy, and that's it. And then fucking Graham, when Biden has some of his worst uh, stock market numbers and the economy's tanking and inflation, Scott, you know, went right back up. And we got the saying that, oh, it's just hotter than usual. Oh, it's a hotter now. Um, and then Graham just goes, hey, abortion ban. And right there, the whole media had their out to go. And I think that that's just fucking stupid. But I think the I think the calculus is that pro-life women vote, too. I mean, yeah, but it's the it's the old adage: don't don't get in the way when your enemy is making a mistake. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, and then then there's the whole thing, the story that came out about him working with Elizabeth Warren Warren on creating licenses for Twitter and other companies like it uh, as a new regulatory agency. It's it seems like Lindsey Graham just decided that he's going to try and get everyone in the GOP to look at him and ask, what the fuck do you think you're doing? <laughs> um, uh, well, that's, that's, that's I'll, usually I'll, the goal of a politician is to get your name out there and keep it out there. 
Thanks, Ian. Samuel, I know you're going to have thoughts, so fire away. No introduction needed. Well, I mean, I would just lead off with saying I don't normally cite Philip Bump as a one reliable or two particularly conservative fella, but he made a good point the other day that I think is relevant when we're talking about Fetterman. So um, I know you mentioned on the podcast, and I think earlier in the call-in, about the Nate Cohen piece in the New York Times about the polls. And there's this sentiment that the 2018 polls were good, but it's it's just wrong. And he posted this great graphic that uh, and he, his caption was, those newly considering the question of polling accuracy should know that 2018 wasn't the outlier it may seem. As I wrote last month, Senate polls that year were also off the mark, though national house polling wasn't. And it shows, it, it's like I said, it's a really good graphic. It, it uh, kind of illustrates um, the polling averages versus the actual results. And again, it's Republicans are consistently um, underestimated, even in states like Hawaii and Maryland, states where they're not going to win. They're still polling five, 10 points way behind where they actually finish. So in, in regards to like the whole Fetterman spiel, um, when we were talking about earlier about, you know, why, why are the polls showing such strong support for him? I just contend that the polls are wrong. And I, I firmly am holding to the belief that if he was really up five, 10 points, they wouldn't be marching him out to do events. They wouldn't even consider doing a debate, even though the October 25th thing is complete bullshit. And my biggest question, and this is my conspiracy theory is why is the Washington Post editorial board writing an editorial against Fetterman? What do they know that we don't know? Because I I find it hard to believe that they would do it without, you know, is this health worse than we think it is? And they know it and they're trying to force them out of the race. Um, Do they, are they seeing internal polling numbers that make them think he's actually going to lose and they're trying to force him out of the race? I don't see why they do that unless there's some other prerogative. And I, I just contend that, like, I don't like Dr. Oz. I'm not a Dr. Oz fan. I'm not a Herschel Walker fan. Um, but I think they're all going to win. And I, I, I'm not going to be surprised when it happens. Um, your, your point about the post is interesting. And I I don't know if they've seen something that we haven't. I think part of it is is especially with midterms, people pay attention the closer voting gets and election day gets. And you're now hitting that kind of two-month mark. And I do think, unlike NBC News, I think some Washington Post reporters saw these clips of him this weekend and just went, oh, shit. Like, this is this is bad. It's as bad as it looks, which is why NBC did what they did. They NBC ran this, this hit job on Price and people who put post pass clips around a Fetterman, not because it's fake, not because it's edited, not because it's doctored. It's because they know how fucking bad it makes him look. And there is this huge canyon of difference between the Fetterman that's being portrayed, the one that you see, you know, looking at uh, um, teleprompters and, and monitors as he's being interviewed on Chris Hayes. And these one to two second clips of him just going, hey, everybody in his ads. And then when you see the guy talk, it is, it is night and day. 
And I think this was probably Washington Post's way of saying, if you level with people, they'll probably vote for you, like on the sympathy vote. If you just get out there and you just say, you know, look, if you if you tried to make this your focus, then people will probably say kind of what I'm saying, which is, yeah, leave him alone. He's a stroke. Um, it could be they've seen internal polling. It could be they've heard things about things of his health. And um, it, it's not just a stroke. There's other conditions here where um, from now until November, is he even like people have said, is he even going to live? In which case, what do you do then? Do you, do you call up Connor Lamb? Do you find somebody else? Um, what do you do? And that's kind of what I noted is, I mean, this guy's, you have a healthy 40-year-old Connor Lamb out here who probably could beat Oz, you know, just as, gener- just as generic Democrat, just get out of the way and just paint Oz as, you know, a, a fucking Hollywood alien who's just landed in Pittsburgh somehow and decided he wants to be a senator. Um, but as far as like what they know, I, I think that they just see, I think the Washington Post people saw those videos and just went, this is bad. And they can't, they, they're not going to be able to do this forever. Um, and, and I guess the hope is he just coasts. That's it. When early voting starts, you hope you just coast across the finish line. And as I said, the point of NBC is to basically censor and get rid of anyone who's just putting out videos that aren't theirs. Um, this guy, this whatever, this guy named Coggins or whatever for NBC directed people to, to his full speech. And it's the same speech. The parts where Fetterman loses his train of thought, he can't finish a sentence. There's no change in that. There's no change in his gaps, in his memories, in his ability to speak words, uh, to, in his ability to enunciate and to form nuanced thoughts, all those things that you should have as a, as a U.S. senator. And this idea of saying, here's Fetterman's whole speech, this makes it better. I don't think that's going to fly. Now, he could, he could end up still winning. Um, and it, honestly, for someone like me, it would be the best thing for my career for that, you know, that fucking Frankenstein to go ahead and win and then go to D.C. Uh, where he can't fit through any doors. And then, like I said, he, he, he makes the wrong votes um, and they have to sit through six years of this or, or less. Um, and so like, that's, that was kind of the funniest thing when these dirtbags were coming after me the other night is I'm just like, I don't have anything invested in Oz. I'm kind of for the entertainment value. I'm hoping Fetterman wins. Like if Fetterman wins and they hold the Senate, but the house goes, I am totally happy with that gridlock and the old man's presidency is over. Um, so maybe, but I think, I think, and this is just me and I, I don't have any inside information. I think what the Washington post is they saw those clips and they saw them go viral and they were like, we, we can't keep a lid on this. And, and I don't think the campaign can keep a lid on this. So, you know, the, the one where he showed up outside the steel mill with a few supporters, was that one doctored? Like, you're not going to be able to claim this. And you're certainly not going to be able to fucking claim it in a debate where Oz is just going to, you know, sit there and pepper him with, you know, crime statistics or, you know, homeschooling, uh, the pandemic and, and masking kids and all of this stuff. What is Fetterman going to do? And so possibly it's to try and get someone else in the race. Possibly they know something. But I, I genuinely think the Washington Post just went, fuck, the, the, you can't hide this. You can do it on Twitter. But ultimately, this stuff is going to get out. And you even see people like Jake Tapper who are, who are questioning this and being like, you know, this, dude, this dude's got a problem. Now, I'll hedge that. We all know what happened with Jake Tapper and Connor Lamb. Connor Lamb is a friend of Jake Tapper. And Tapper tried to get in there and put his finger on, you know, the button to try and convince, oh, God, was Latrell or, 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 or whatever the guy's name to not run. 
And he did the right thing. He, he blew Tapper out of the water and said, why are you DMing me this stuff? You're, you're a CNN journalist. You're not a you know, political advisor, although that's what he is. So I think it's just Washington Post saw that and they're like, shit, like this is bad. Um, but they might. They might have internal polling that looks at it and goes, fuck, like they need somebody else in there right now. Yeah, it, it just makes me suspicious because the same week we get that, I mean, it wasn't an oppo dump, but it's, you know, Oz really couldn't have hoped for a better audit editorial from the Washington Post for him. The same week we get that editorial, and I, I, I like Nate Cohen. I have nothing against him. I, you know, he's probably a Democrat, but I think he's generally pretty good. Um, the same week that we get the editorial, we get his piece about why he thinks the polls are wrong. Then Philip Bump's tweeting about why he thinks the polls might be off. And there's just this, and it, it's not just like Nate Cohen tweeted this um, study about why he thinks the polls might be off. And it was just radio silence. You had like mainstream media people picking it up, retweeting it, making a point. And it just makes me think. And again, the, I, 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 we going back a while, the polling has just, people have just said, this is crap. And I, I'm inclined to believe them. If you just look at history and I mean, maybe, maybe this is the one year where history is wrong and we're proved wrong. And the Democrats hold the Senate and they don't do as badly in the house as we think they might. But I just think that everything coming so quickly right in a bunch makes me wonder, you know, what are they hearing? Cause there are so many polls and focus groups that go on that we never hear about, but you know that the media finds out about them one way or another. They're either just sharing it with them and telling them that they can't put it out or, you know, just on the background, they're just kind of talking about it. We know that there's polling and, focus groups going on that are tracking like real time what's going on in these races. And I just wonder if, cause the only internals that get released are the ones that they want us to see, you know, to boost fundraising or show, Hey, I have a chance. Like if you're out in Colorado, like I like O'Day, but he put out an internal where he's down three, he's probably down six, seven, eight, which still in Colorado is not bad, but it's just trying to boost support and polling. It just makes me wonder what everyone is seeing that suddenly we're getting all these temper your expectations. Uh, Democrats, the polls might not actually be right. You know, why are we suddenly getting this reflection? And nobody was talking about it when there was polls being released that showed Fetterman up double digits. Well, what's changed or what are they seeing that's making them trying to like level set expectations now? Um, Oz is what rate I saw two polls that showed he's a, he's in nine. I saw one that he's within five. So, and you know, you had Joe, who's a resident of Pennsylvania say that Oz has kind of found his ground. He's found his sea legs a little bit. So they could probably, you know, see polls tightening as they historically do right now. And they probably look at it and say, if push comes to shove, it's, we're going to send the celebrity doctor to the Senate and not the guy who might die two days after I vote for him. But again, I, 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 I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, just last thing I'll say. Yeah, if, if Oz is within five on election day, I think he's going to win. I just, the, and especially the Rust Belt. The Rust Belt, they had Trump losing Wisconsin in 2020 by, by 17 points. And he lost by like less than 1%. So especially up there in the Rust Belt, um, and, and maybe I'm wrong. And I, I guess the actual last thing, and I'll make it quick, is just I 
I am not a fan of Walker's candidacy either down in Georgia, but I wouldn't necessarily compare him to Fetterman just in the sense that Fetterman actually won a primary. I mean, he stroked out like three days before it, so he really didn't have time. Uh, Lamb didn't really have time to go after him on that, but he actually won a primary. Nobody even challenged Walker down in Georgia. I mean, McConnell and Trump got behind him. And I mean, you can say that's worse. And I think it's a fair point that nobody even challenged Walker. But Democrats in Pennsylvania chose to go with this ridiculous Shrek looking socialist giant three days after he stroked out. And again, I don't think there was adequate time to actually go after him on that. But they chose him. So they have to live with the repercussions of him probably, I think he's probably going to lose and not in small part because of the stroke. So I'll go ahead and get off. Cheers. Thanks, Samuel. I'm going to hold you to all of these predictions, by the way, eventually. So just so you know, I'm, I'm keeping track. Uh, we'll wrap up with Eric, John, Jacqueline, and then Chris and Kanadistan. Uh, go ahead, Eric. Hey, Steve. Uh, belated congratulations on the uh, Avalanche Stanley Cup. Uh, I live in suburban Pittsburgh and I'm a big hockey fan. Oh, so it, it feels so long ago already. Like they start training camp in like three weeks. Um, and it's just, yeah, it was great, but it just is like, Oh, they're going to, they're going to drop like the first 20 games of the season because of the hangover. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it doesn't even just cause it's now summer and it's late. I think the team has all run through their day with it now and everything. I, I kind of pay attention to some of that stuff and, I was like, man, it's like training camp is three weeks. And so, and then I also had my season wrap up and I just start, I start up again next week. So, but I'll take it, especially from you, you, you filthy Penguins fans. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was very entertaining. So congratulations. Um, yeah. So I, I, I live in suburban Pittsburgh. And so that's the perspective that I have for you. Um, and I guess I'm, I'm not as optimistic as some of the previous callers here. I, I would say, if if you made me choose today, I'm 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 betting on Fetterman. Why um, is it just the coverage, the attitude, people you talk to? What 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 would put you out there like that? All of it. Uh, just to sort of summarize it. it. It's there's there's enthusiasm, at least amongst some, for Fetterman. There is no enthusiasm amongst any corner of the Republicans, independents. Nobody wants to vote for Oz. Um, so how, so how did he end up beating McCormick then? Was it Trump's endorsement? I think it was Trump's endorsement. It was also the Republican party in Pennsylvania is just awful in terms of doing any work in terms of narrowing down candidates. There were five or six candidates. There was Carla Sands, there was Kathy Barnett. And so, you know, he won a plurality, um, but I think even like the fifth place person got 5% of the votes or something like that. And so, yeah, probably Trump's endorsement is, you know, just pushed him across the finish line in a crowded field. And I think it's probably as simple as that. Um, I think it's a real shame McCormick didn't get the nomination. If you look back at sort of the Republicans that have won statewide in Pennsylvania lately, Pat Toomey, um, this is getting a little bit old now, but former governor Tom Corbett, yeah, what they do is they, they, they pull enough of the suburban Philadelphia and suburban Pittsburgh folks um, who look at the, the Republican and say, I, I'm middle of the road and this guy looks okay to me. And, and they, they garner enough of those votes. 
um, to get them across the finish line. I know Trump won um, in, in 16 by like 44,000 votes or something, but, but quite honestly, I, I consider that to be more of an anomaly than anything. Um, I think Romney got more votes than Trump did statewide. Um, don't quote me on that, but I think that's true. But, um, yeah, there's just, there's enthusiasm for Fetterman in some quarters and there's no enthusiasm for Oz. And I think, uh, Fetterman has been very effective with his carpetbagging attacks. You talk to people and you get, you know, flippant remarks. Well, you know, Oz just moved here from Jersey last week. And, and I think that's been very effective, uh, especially with, with sort of lower information voters or voters who were, um, you know, not partisans, they look and they say, well, at least Fetterman's from here. Um, yeah, I think that that's, that has a large part to do with it. The other thing is, you know, Biden, Biden basically won a presidential campaign by just doing video conferences. He stepped out every once in a while, but that's pretty much how he did it. And if Fetterman wins or whatever, if it, it's going to, sh- it's going to be a whole new era of campaigning because candidates are then going to think, you know, I'm not going to have to go on campaign. We also see Katie Hobbs in Arizona won't debate Kari Lake. Yep. Um, and so, again, you're entering a new era of campaigning where if Fetterman pulls it out, it, it, they're just going to say, fuck it, I'm just going to stay home. This is, I'm going to just stay home and hire, I'm, I'm going to pay five social media people a hundred grand a year. I'm going to hire fucking Taylor Lorenz to run my social media because it, it really is an online campaign because there is no candidate. He's sick. He's almost dead. He's in the hospital for three and a half months and he's learning how to put pegs into square holes like chimpanzees again. And, um, and so this is all being run as a mirage. And so he has people making ads for him. He's hired a good firm, uh, a young people who are kind of like Mike Gravel, Bernie Sanders style people to go and run ads for him and, you know, do the tweets and here, John, just hold up this vegetable train, point at it. Um, no, don't talk to it. It's not living. Um, and they just do that. And so if he wins, there's, it's going to be fascinating to examine. And you're going to see that. It's going to be fascinating to examine how a basically a, a mostly online campaign can go ahead and win a United States Senate seat. And so that's going to be another interesting thing to watch. And if he loses, and if he loses by a lot, then it's you know, it's it's my old theory, which is to me, ultimately, voters will vote for who shows up. And like I said, in 2016, Trump showed up to Pennsylvania and he showed up to Ohio and he showed up to Michigan and he showed up to Wisconsin. Um, and while Hillary was going to Gwyneth Paltrow's house in Hamilton to do fundraising. Um, and I've always said there's this great graphic as that election wrapped down that showed the flight patterns of Hillary and Trump. And it was something like, Trump would fly into Milwaukee and then he'd fly to Madison and then he'd fly to Ohio and then he'd fly up to uh, Pennsylvania and then he'd fly into Milwaukee and he would just kind of do this whole thing. And Hillary would fly to like Ohio and then fly home for three days. And then she would fly from home to South Carolina and then she'd fly to New York again. And they show how he just lapped her completely in visits. And so I think voters ultimately vote for who shows up. And it just depends on if Oz is willing to do that dirty work to knock on doors and show up at places and not make a complete ass of himself with grocery store chain names and things like that. Um, But it is going to be fascinating to see if if Fetterman pulls it out, what that does for future campaigning. Yeah, yeah. And and I just, I know it's sort of trite to say, but, but candidate quality matters 
Uh, and I think if this were McCormick, I think McCormick would win the race easily going away. Um, you just, you know, you can't hire, you can't, you can't elect the, the, the TV. Um, a lot of folks would say sort of fraudster or charlatan or, or whatever. Um, it's just, it, it doesn't work with a lot of folks. Um, and the other thing that's been mentioned is, is Mastriano. You, you can't nominate folks who were marching to the Capitol on January 6th in purple states and expect anything but blowouts. Um, and I worry what effect nominating a guy like Mastriano for governor is going to have on Oz at the end of the day, where folks say, you know, Mastriano is a nut job and I'm just not going to pull the Republican for the NER. And I, and I think that's going to be a problem for him too, um, going forward. Uh, and well, like I said, and either GOP voters will learn or they won't. It's, it's, it's not my job to save them. That's what I call it. The Batman begins caucus that I belong to, which is if you're going to go down this road, well, buckle up and buy the ticket and take the ride. So. Yep. Very unfortunate, but, but that's the situation that we're in. So, um, and the last thing I just want to add is that, that Fetterman has done such an amazing job. We, we've sort of talked about um, how he was been a career politician, but it's even sort of worse than that. I, I think it was in one of the Philadelphia media outlets that when he was the mayor of Braddock, which is, uh, you know, maybe 15, 20 minutes away from, from where I live, I didn't even realize this until until now. So, so Fetterman did a good job. He got paid like 150 bucks a month. Because the job involved him doing like an hour of work a week, he literally <laughs> he literally did absolutely nothing. He apparently did neighborhood patrol, right? And if I'm Oz, you know, and if and if I have any trust in the electorate, that's something that I'm going to want to hit down the stretch. Is not only did you live off of your parents' money and you're a career politician, but you're just a career nothing. I mean, yeah. you literally just sat around. And that's what, what have you th- done? And that's ultimately what he, if he wins. That's ultimately what he's going to do in the Senate because he's not he's not going to have the wherewithal and the stamina and the cognitive ability to be a full time senator. He'll basically show up to vote and that's it. And the rest of the time he'll be at home laying in bed. Now, my, my money would if I if, if there's going to be some replacement, I, I guess it could potentially be his wife. My money would be on Shapiro. And I think he's the one who would get to do it. Um, uh, putting Lamb in there. Yeah. Uh, Shapiro's a pretty, you know, buttoned up, savvy career politician. And, you know, Lamb's the kind of guy, unfortunately, who if he gets in there, he could be in the Senate for 30 years. Um, he's disciplined. He comes off as sharp, middle of the road, even though that's not how he votes. Um, so my money would be on. And, I, and I've thought about that, too, over the past couple months. You know, it's Fetterman's job here just to get across the finish line and then, and then lamb gets in that, 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 that would be my guess. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Like my, my theory about replacing him, I think it's, I think it's partly just get him across the line, but I don't, um, I don't know if that would end up striking a deal where Fetterman's people say, no, you're not putting lamb in. You're going to put in our own person. Um, or, you know, it, it's obviously he has to be sworn in. So there's that. Um, and then of course there's a few months of doing it and then just saying, well, we can't do this. He's not able to do the job. And that's where, you know, people like me spike a football, uh, you know, belatedly because he, he would have won the Senate seat. Um, 
and then it becomes, you know, how do you deal with it? And so it's a theory, but again, I, I would love to see polling on people who think that he is actually healthy enough to serve a full six year Senate term. Like I, I don't know if polling exists on that, but that I would be interested to see that. So yeah, the, the discussion I've had with folks about that is, well, then the Republicans should have nominated the carpetbagger. Not that I think that's the appropriate response, but that's, that's what I hear. So very unfortunate. Yeah. Eric, thank you. I like, like I said, I, I like getting, you know, kind of local perspectives on what's going on and also kind of a, a more gloom and doom one <laughs> than the previous one. So, but I appreciate it. Very good. Thanks. Cheers. Take care. We'll, uh, we'll wrap up here with John Jacklin and Chris and uh, go ahead, John. It, it, I too, like your previous callers live here in the, Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and Western PA, the eighth dimension of hell where we have the four worst statewide candidates you could ever have on a ballot. Um, it, it, it's a race to the bottom all ways around. And, you know, so many of your other callers have made good points. I just want to fill in a few gaps here and touch on a couple of things. You know, one is there, there is some mainstream media movement and you just look at these big newspapers, Pittsburgh Tribune Review, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, Philadelphia Inquirer. They've all done opinion pieces and editorial board hits on Fetterman in the past month. There is movement in that direction. And then what you see is even on some of these local newscasts here in Pittsburgh, which are sort of funny, is you're, they're picking it up and they're going with the classic well, people are out there saying that Fetterman should debate. You know, They're not owning it, of course. But this snowball is starting to roll. And I think this is going to look a lot different a couple of weeks from now or even a month from now as, as we head toward the finish line. Um, so, that, you that, said, so you said like local newspapers are running editorials against him or telling him reveal more stuff about your health or what? They're, 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 they're running. They're running. Um, he needs to debate. He, he needs to debate. Um, th- this, this is legitimate. Um, he needs to get out there and debate basically. Um, and, you know, it's really starting to roll. And I've been, I've been telling people this for, for four months now, and I'll just say it to you is this race does not begin until the first debate. This race, if Fetterman can actually survive a half an hour or 45 minutes in a debate, um, he's got a chance to win. Yeah. I mean, the main problem with that is early voting in Pennsylvania, I think starts, I don't know when it starts, but it's, uh, late September, early October, and they're scheduling a debate for the week before the election. So even if he, I mean, even if Fetterman keels over or if, you know, the, the debate moderator, you know, makes a loud noise and he, and he, and he throws his podium at Oz and, you know, kills half the people in the crowd, um, early voting's already started, will almost be finished. So, I mean, the race kind of starts with early voting, and then I don't know what that would happen. Like, let's say he completely bombs out of the debate, can't finish, or, you know, it's the worst, it's the worst thing uh, imaginable. Um, you're already going to see, you know, 20, 30, 40% of the state has already cast their vote. Yeah, and, and that that's a real problem. I certainly can't deny that. Um, however... You know, I think the ball's starting to roll a little bit. I think some of the other callers have touched on this. You know, there's a lot of TV going up. There's a lot of negative TV hits on Fetterman. Um, you're starting to see it show up in the polling now. And I'm I'm one of these people that believes that the polling is undersampling Oz, 
simply because these MAGA voters are not going to tell a pollster that they're voting for Oz. They're just not going to do it. So a lot of these people are going to come in and suck it up on election day and pull it for Dr. Oz, but they're not going to tell a pollster they're doing that. So I, I think there's some bias there. Um, but it, it's, um, you know, this, the, the, it, it's a complete train wreck. And, um, you, you know, the, the, the one other thing, the, the cautionary tale on Fetterman, I'll, I'll just tell you a quick story. You know, my dad's 70 years old. He's a retired union Democrat. He doesn't use a computer. He doesn't use a smartphone. He worked with his hands his whole life. All he watches is network news. He believes the Carhartt bullshit from Fetterman. And there's a lot of old people that live in Pennsylvania. That That's a bigger problem than I think even a lot of the social media stuff. That's going to be the thing that Dr. Oz has to get past. What Oz is banking on clearly is that, you know, you can go look at the numbers, but something like 40% of the registered voters in PA live in the Philadelphia metro area, you know, Delaware County, Bucks County, Montgomery County. They, they, they live in that five or six, they call them the collar counties of Philadelphia. Oz is banking on all of those, you know, suburban, white, middle of the road, um, used to be really Republican, but now trending more democrat voters he's 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 relying on those voters to come home and he's trying to barnstorm every county fair across the state and play catch up um and the other thing that doesn't get talked about quite enough either is you know you have to remember oz's race went into overtime and they blew their entire bank account trying to beat dave mccormick in the primary and so they didn't have any money in the bank for a couple of months and so they're starting to catch up on that front i have i have heard so um you know, it, it seems like Oz is getting his shit together a little bit. Um, but, you know, I, I hate to say it this way, but you, you brought up the Herschel Walker thing. And, and it's, you know, the only problem with Oz is he's a little bit of a D-bag. And, you know, like he's out there talking about crude, you know, crudite and, and, and you have Herschel Walker, you know, Herschel Walker is a fun guy to listen, talk to listen to him talk. He's a motivational speaker, as you've pointed out. And, you know, um, he has people skills, God damn it. And, you know, when you have people skills versus not having people skills, that's the thing that hurts Oz quite a bit too. So, um, I jumped all over the place there. Feel free to jump in. That's all I got. No, I mean, you make some good points. And again, as someone who lives there, it's, you know, it's, it's hard to, uh, argue with points, uh, that you're making and the whole, the whole Carhartt thing. I mean, that's, there's obviously not images of Fetterman really walking around in a suit. And it is an image because this guy is like not done much his entire life. Um, and I actually believe that that has a lot more to do with this, um, than people think just the, just to present an image, you know, he's the sweater wearing guy, he's the hoodie guy. And, um, whatever. And, and I see people make fun of him for that. And it's the same people on the right who make fun of Ocasio-Cortez for being a bartender. And it's a completely misguided attack. You need to be making fun of Ocasio-Cortez for being an intern in Ted Kennedy's office and living. Um, and that's the same thing with Fetterman. This is a guy who comes from a, a multi-generational wealthy family who's been given wealth his whole life. And therefore, he's kind of free to, you know, throw on the hoodie and, and put up that whole act. So... It is it's an interesting. It's an interesting talking point, though. Like I said, I see a lot of people on the right aiming, you know, aiming over there when they should be aiming, you know, over in this direction. So I'll give you one last word. Well, um, you know, 
you asked one of your you asked the first caller what would you do if you were Oz's campaign, and I don't I don't think they hit this nuance quite enough. Um, there's a lot of sympathy in PA. It's a fairly rural working class state for self defense and the right to use firearms for self defense. So when you bring up an issue, you know, there's like the one that you know Fetterman was involved in at a high level. When you don't get into the details, people don't grasp it. They need to go out there. And he needs to say this at a debate. The only difference between John Fetterman and the people that killed Ahmad Arbery is they pulled the trigger and he didn't. He was in his apartment. Yeah. He took a firearm. He went outside. He chased a man down and stuck a gun in his face. Yeah. He, I mean, I, I love in the clip, too, that I played on a podcast today where the guy's like, uh, he's like, he stuck the fucking gun right in my chest. And Fetterman's like, he's lying. <laughs> They just called the black innocent jogger a liar. And he's like, I have the mayor and the cops all pointing guns at me. Like, what am I supposed to do? And he puts his hands up, like, hands up, don't shoot. And it's just such a fucking comedy of errors that, again, our media just, like, turns away and whistles whenever that whole incident comes up. So, John, thank you. John, thank you. I'm going, I'm going to go move on. Thanks for your thoughts again from one of the locals. Jacqueline. Uh, feel free. Go ahead. We're going to wrap. I saw Lance jump in there because my trader from Kanadistan dropped. So I guess I'll take three more. Hey, Stephen. Um, I just wanted to call in. Like, and I wanted to speak on Aaron's comment about um, giving you congratulations about the avalanche. And I disagree with that. But... I will let him do what he wants to do and speak his mind on that. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I'm sorry. It just wasn't your lightning's ear. Don't put Corey Perry on your team. That's the lesson. <laughs> That's true. But, um, yeah, like the, I, I don't know too much about Pennsylvania politics. And I'm kind of waffling on what I think is going to happen between Fetterman and Oz. I think Oz does have a chance, though. Um, and I just know that I, as a Floridian, just care about Ronnie D taking over um the country in two years so that's where my mindset's at right now yeah I, i've said like i don't have much invested i i have invested in this the, how the media is covering that's kind of what i do uh i look at how they're just running an interference campaign on behalf of this guy because they know where he's vulnerable and um, they, they will always tell you the people that they're afraid of and the attacks that they're afraid of, um, the ones that are the most potent. Uh, we, just, we just saw tonight um, DeSantis has just flown two, air, two planes of migrants to Martha's Vineyard. And I, this is the biggest freakout that I've seen from people that since the last thing DeSantis did. Um, it, it beats Abbott sending him to New York and beats Abbott sending him to Chicago. Um, so they know the kind of the potency of this and what it looks like. And I kind of like what someone said, like they just won't take the L on this immigration thing. Um, 
<laughs> they know, like, as opposed to just being like, yeah, this looks bad. I don't know how you get, how do you make these arguments other than yes, welcome, send them to us. We'll take them. Um, so I don't have much invested in the race itself. I have invested in how it's covered and how it's covered, where that will lead and, and how that will go. Um, but like I said, I'm fine for the most part. If, if they end up splitting, so they win the House, lose the Senate, or win the Senate, lose the House, that's the more unlikelier thing to happen. Um, I'm perfectly happy with gridlock. I'm perfectly happy with one leaving and pretty much ending Joe Biden's presidency for the next two years. Yeah, I'm the same. Like, I want gridlock all the time. I don't care who's president. I want gridlock because I don't want anything being passed that changes our lives and stuff that's I, I I'm for gridlock all the time. So it wouldn't matter to me either. But it's just hilarious like like you said, how he sent everyone all these people to Martha's Vineyard after Abbott sent them to DC, Chicago, New York, and then DeSantis went all balls out and sent them to Martha's Vineyard like Barack Obama's house. It's like hilarious. Yeah, I think the total was 50 to 75 and we're hearing that this will strain the hospital system there, which is a, it's an island, it's a vacation community and et cetera. And, you know, he sent 75 people there, I think, total. Um, and, and Texas sees thousands of crossings a week. And the, again, anyone who's speaking out against this uh, fails to mention or as either purposely ignoring the fact that the Biden administration was flying migrants all over the country. So someone needs to elaborate on why or why not this is a good thing or a bad thing uh, when GOP governors do it. Um, but when uh, the Biden administration does it, it's it's not a P. People remember that uh, Ducey asked Saki about this and said, are you running flights, you know, early morning flights? And then Saki cracked about the time of day that they were running them. And that's why we said to Saki, it's all a game. She doesn't give a shit about these people's lives. She doesn't give a shit about what's happening on the border. Saki's whole game is just how can I how can I cleverly dodge this? How can I get around this? Because she's the fucking Tracy Flick of press secretaries. Um, and so that that's what she didn't address the question. She just said, well, you and I will quibble with what's late and what's not. <laughs> and so, again, people who are against what DeSantis Abbott are doing and other governors are doing this need to answer why it's OK that the Biden administration does. It. And they'll answer, well, it's because federal. Uh, the Biden administration is federally in charge of immigration. Well, they're not doing the job. And so here you have governors who are completely doing a legal action and they're simply relocating, you know, migrants to bluer states. Um, a more cynical person, and I'm, I'm kind of in, in the way of thinking of this, a more cynical person would be, uh, say, the reason they are upset about flying migrants to blue states is because the states are already blue and they can't affect a vote. So by shipping them out of Texas and out of red states, um, it, you know, they'll argue replacement theory and that's what they'll say that I'm doing, except I'm not. I'm, for the most part, pro-immigration. If, if they want to come here and work hard, and if our immigration system is so fucked up that we can't even fix a visa system that, prevent, that could have prevented the 9-11 attacks then, you know, fine, come here and work, come across the border and work. I don't care. Go get a job in a hotel. Those are some of the hardest working people I've ever met were housekeepers in a hotel. 
And I didn't want to question their immigration status. I didn't care. They brought me great fucking burritos. Um, and so you have to say, you know, here's Democrats for years saying we're going to turn Texas red. This is how we're going to do it. You're going to demographically change it. Well, you, you don't have a fuck ton of libs moving to Texas. You do now because of COVID. So there's only one way that they could be talking about demographically changing it. And that's a Hispanic population that they basically think, hey, if we give a bunch of free shit to, they're going to vote for us. And it turns out that's not what they think. And that's not how it works. And so I would argue, a more cynical person rather would argue, <laughs> that the reason why a lot of these blue state governors are, are throwing a hissy fit is because they're, gonna, they're either going to vote differently or they already have blue states, in which case their voters, the votes in Texas don't matter. And so I would argue that's part of this, but it's, it really has been one of the more enjoyable things to just watch. You don't even, you don't have to respond to much when they go, our social systems are being strained. And you just go, oh, wow, that sounds pretty bad that that's happening. That, that shouldn't happen, should it? And uh, it's, yeah, it's, I, it's, it's I, just been a sight to see. And, of course, they're flipping out over their precious fucking island. It's, it's great. Yeah, like, and I completely agree. Like, I don't care about immigration either. I'm same as you. People want to come here and work. I'm not an immigration hawk at all. Come here and work and be productive member society. Cool. Awesome. I want you here. But if you come here... And then we just give everything and you're supposed to have everyone living in Texas or Arizona or New Mexico. Like they can't support that. Like they don't have the resources for that. And even today I saw a video on Twitter in like 45 minutes, like 500 people just hopped over the fence. It's it's just not sustainable for these little cities that are these little towns of, you know, 10,000, 20,000 people to have that many people a day coming there. But yet DC, New York, Chicago are getting mad because a thousand people get sent there. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's obviously it's I mean, it's hypocrisy all around and it's fun to kind of watch our journalists squirm. Jack, I'll give you one last word and then we're all we're all going to hit the hay. Well, that was like pretty much the last thing. And I'm still mad that you're avalanche one. But uh, love you, Steven. Well, Good luck with your next season in your hockey league. It's, it's a whole new season for you to get upset at the avalanche winning again. So that's the good <laughs> news. So, I, and then I get the power to just cut her off like that. Cause I can do that. Lance, uh, let's go ahead. Lance, Chris and wrap things up. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Briefly. It's getting to the end. Yeah. You know, I did a count. There's 435 congressmen and a hundred senators. And I did a count and I said, which one can I say? Yeah, I can really get behind that one. And it was 535 to zero. Katie Porter was on the list and she supported the salt thing, which you probably are for, but maybe, you know, but because I, you know, love you. no, none of them. So I don't think whether it's Fetterman, let's say, who was, let's say, the guy I would vote for, okay? He's kind of a putsy clown, of course. But even if he wasn't and he was everything he said he was, he ain't going to change nothing. 
It's going to be 535 to zero in terms of people that I give a F about, okay? Uh, but look, the other choices. Dr. Frickin' Oz, Mastriano. I don't know who he's running against. The, uh, what's the guy's name uh, that's running for governor against Mastriano? Mastriano's running against Shapiro. Shapiro. I have no idea. I don't know. You know, Governors, even Southern, you know, conservative governors, governors are different. Uh, if they want to do their job correctly, you know, because you have to deal with everybody. You can't just go to the Senate and sit in Washington. <laughs> you know, you're, you're right down there. But so I don't am. And by the way, I, whatever my politics is, I mean, I guess I just I describe myself as a uh, independent, a radical, independent, heterodox, populist, anti-Islamist. I don't, I, don't, I don't want anybody on the left. I don't want the Green Party. I don't want DSA. I don't want. The libertarians, I don't want the Democrats, I don't want the Republicans, I don't want any of them. Any of them. On any, on any side of the spectrum. If you had to vote for one of the two clowns in Pennsylvania, who would you vote for? Well, I'd vote for Fetterman, but so what? I don't, so what? I, would, I probably wouldn't even bother if it was just that. I, I would go because there's a lot of local elections. You know, but I'd definitely vote for Shapiro or Mastriano. That guy's a nut. I don't care what your politics is. He's a nut. If you like nuts, go. Yes. You know, Ann Coulter said, no, no, everybody don't. You know, when all these, I'm not a witch. And she wasn't a witch. All she did was Wicca. God, that's so, that's so benign. That was really absurd. Speaking of this, somebody's like, oh my God, he went on witches or covens. No, she was a Wicca, which every feminist, you know, straight or gay or not, has done the Wicca thing. Big freaking deal. Right? That's all she was. She wasn't a coven black magic. She that's, was, that's. That's pretty tame uh, by today's standards. That was only no, what even that was tame. But, but what I'm saying is, it's all it's all been politics and theater. Okay, one more point, right? So go to ancient Greece or go to ancient Egypt. Occidental culture, right? Golf. You can trace it all the way through. Ancient Egypt, ancient Greece, to ancient Rome, right? To feudal Europe. Politicians have no power. The Roman Senate had no power. There was a real democracy in, in Athens. They were city-states. Okay, so ancient Greece, you have to talk about Sparta versus, um, you know, Athens. You could say that Sparta was ultra-conservative and Athens was ultra-liberal. They still had slaves. They didn't have pure democracy. For, for then, it might have been a good thing, but ancient Egypt, no. Feudal Europe, 100 years after Cromwell, we were still fighting the king. We weren't fighting the parliament. So politicians had no power to begin with, like George Carlin says. And by the way, the politicians we got... I'm like Pogo. I saw the enemy, and it's us. The politicians suck because we suck. The politicians, uh, I, I would politicians are nothing but a pile of vomit because that's what the populace has become. Either willfully, I'm, with willful ignorance by the educated, or a bad education system that we fucked up after we figured out how to do it. Uh, I would argue that we definitely get what we deserve. Um, that's And if, like I said, if we elect a crazy person who decides to nuke half the world, that's what we chose. That's, and the not thing to, is, that's not up to our media, and that's not up to our FBI. So I'll give you yeah, one last word, Lance. Go ahead. Yeah. You know, I live literally, I mean, because we have the 2020 election for five years, four or five years, five years now in uh, the country, in MAGA, in, well, it's not MAGA country, it's, uh, but it's definitely, you know, 98 out of 100 Trump signs. By six miles east, it would be 70-30 Biden time, you know, maybe a couple of Jill Stein and Green Party. I get along like clans with these folks. And by the way, once I talk, if I happen to be captive in thir for 30 minutes having my car towed by AAA, I'm like, great. All right. I got him. Right. And after I go through common ground, hate both parties, I'm like, 
No, Trump hates you. Trump's an asshole. So I, I challenge him on stuff. It isn't like I just say, let's talk about farming and, you know, the weather and good barbecues. No, I challenge him on Trump stuff. So people just have this fear of like these like MAGA, like they're all going to grab like a shotgun and, you know, give you the butt end and be lucky they didn't shoot you if you, if you cross it. No, I get more of that bullshit on, from the left online. I don't interact with as many lefties as I used to and, you know, whatever, but. It's nuts. They're just regular folks. And I, I was saying this before to another room, brief, brief, brief. I'm doing a thing. Where it's going to be a worker call-up day. All right. I went to this lady in, Mag like I said, where it's 98 out of 100, or 99 out of 100, probably Trump signed to, in 2020 to Biden. Fat Bottom Grills is the name of the barbecue place. They're in their third location, but it's a new place and it's bigger. Like, and have live music? She said, yes. This will take 10 seconds, I promise. I said, well, I'm doing this thing, part of this project I'm doing. Whereas Farm Aid kind of thing, 2.0, we're going to, like, 4-H kids from the country into the inner city, and the inner city kids who are doing urban gardening, that they're selling their stuff on, you know, a little stand. You know, inner city means inner city. It means people of color. Well, I said, and so I didn't say that, though, right? Intercity kids will come out, learn, you know, see cows, you know, come out to the country. And the 4-H kids will see how the urban farming happens in the city. And I had every reason to think when I said that, that yeah, it might not be for us. She said, yeah, that sounds interesting. Let me know. You never know until you reach out. And that's my mantra to everyone. Reach out, reach out, reach out to people that you think you may not disagree. Because just like Black Uhuru said, great reggae band, everybody wants the same thing, don't they? Everybody wants a happy end. Everybody wants food for their family. Everybody wants a safe place to go at the end of the day, no matter what your politics is. So I'll leave with that. Uh, that's, that's good advice, Lance. Uh, thanks, Lance. I'm um, glad to hear from you. Glad you jumped in. Um, all I pictured from uh, Lance, I think he was playing cards or something there, was uh, Monroe from Barry. So we'll let that inside joke stay. That's a compliment, by the way, Lance. Chris, uh, you're last, you dropped off and now, now you extended the show. So I'm not real happy, but go ahead and fire off and send us off. Good. Well, I, I'm the jerk that keeps you, you, you here. Um, first of all, thanks for, for being here late. I, uh, I appreciate that being on the West coast. Um, sorry about your Broncos on, on Monday. Eh, they always lay one, they always lay one or two eggs during the season. It's not, not nothing to worry about. I'm not worried about them. That was that was my beloved Seahawks Super Bowl. Yeah, they're not so, they're not um, going to have I'm, another game like that all season. So I would say, in, oh, they're going to stop. I would say enjoy that. I mean, at least at least our guys will be fun to watch somehow, even if they if even if they're fun watching to lose. Fair enough. Um, I was going to talk about through a again through the the eyes of of a uh, the new scope and. Um, what I've been noticing with these midterms is there's been very little actual about the actual midterms. There, a lot of these news organizations are still trying to jump with Trump. It, it Trump is the golden goose, and uh, today they Lindsey Graham handed them a very nice gift. That that's what they talked about. They don't want to talk about Fetterman. Fetterman is they're they're scared of that. They might talk about Dr. Oz that he's a quack. They don't want to talk about Fetterman because they want to uh, they want uh, nationally and internationally to make make the Democrats look as good as possible. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would of course agree with that. Um, I think I think it's it's a little bit more than just making them look good. I think that they are actively 
trying to obfuscate what Fetterman's condition is. I think that they are actively trying to conceal that as much as possible from outside media sources. So maybe not voters in Pennsylvania, but they think that voters in Pennsylvania are on Twitter and Facebook and, you know, they read Yahoo and they, and they do that stuff. Um, and so their job is to basically get as many unflattering clips of this guy out of the media as possible. So, of course, you do that in many ways. You show him by not talking at events. Uh, you show about, you know, kind of what MSCC did. You, you go after the people who showed these clips, which is kind of their M.O., and then the other you thing also is, is, and then the other thing is, is you know, you you put Trump and whatever he was doing on his golf course yesterday, front and center. Yes, exactly. And if you also notice, you'll never you'll see clips of Fetterman talking. He 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 he'll be moving his hands. He'll be animated, but you actually won't hear his voice. Notice that it, that you will see a lot of Fetterman kind of looking like he's senatorial but you actually will not hear his voice well no because they know how bad it is every time they do it which is why he's not debating they're pushing the debate back to as late as they possibly can um again they know what they're doing and like i said even his own twitter account um they'll show fetterman come out for you know come out for shapiro or comes out with biden or whatever and then they cut the feed the second that he starts to talk and they also know that the people in the audience are supporters of him no matter what so um, you know, I brought up an interesting point with Henry Gomez, who's an NBC reporter who was covering the event with uh, Fetterman. And I said, you know, you know, you have a video recorder on your phone. Why don't you use it? And they're very much aware, whether it's marching orders or not, from producers to say, hey, don't show him talking. Just show him there. Just take photographs. Um, they are very kind of to just wrap this all up. They are very much aware And I would argue frightened over his condition, what that possibly does for the Senate. If you are a journalist and if you're the media and you believe that democracy itself is at stake in these midterms, which we've heard, we've heard that from several journalists, uh, people like Robert Costa, people like Brian Stelter, people like Jay Rosen and, and others, Sherilyn Eiffel just did it at some conference, then you can justify doing absolutely anything to help the people who you don't believe are a threat to democracy to winning. This is the Sam Harris philosophy that we saw where um, if, if you literally believe putting Mehmet Oz into the Senate will, will help end democracy because he won't certify electoral results or what have you, then any kind of behavior is justified leading up to that. And that includes running interference for a guy who can barely speak or think. You're right. Um, well, it's interesting uh, and uh, going off a different topic it is was the whole BYU thing. I grew up 15 minutes away from BYU or from that campus, and I knew there was something fishy the next morning when I heard that they um, kicked out a UVU student. The second I heard that they kicked out a UVU student, I, I knew there was something super fishy with what was going on on there. Um, uh, I don't think people realize uh, how how that university is structured. There's two universities right next to each other, and one ha- like BYU does not accept people from the state of Utah, which most people don't really realize. And a lot of those kids from Utah go to UVU, which is Utah Valley, and then they kind of just kind of coexist together. So, 
if you notice, they would never kick out someone because that would make them look bad. But it, it's, it's okay to make someone from the other university that's right next door. That's fine to kick them out. I don't know if you noticed that. Uh, no. Because, I mean, so you said you grew up like, or you lived or you grew up right at UVU. I, no, I grew up by BYU and U, U, UVU. It's uh, I grew up 15 oh, okay. minutes away from both of them, and they're in the they're actually in the like a lot of what ends up happening is BYU gets everyone all the Mormons from outside of Utah, and then all the Mormons from inside of Utah who wants to go to BYU but they won't accept them. They go to UVU, and then they kind of commingle together. Oh, okay. So I see what you're saying. I mean. The thing with BYU is it's the same. It's it's similar to the same thing with Fetterman, which is if you inherently believe your opponents are racist and if you inherently believe the country itself is founded on racist, which they all they all shoveled the 1619 project down their throat with zero introspection about it, how much of it is true, then you believe that running stories about it unverified is is in the, is is inevitably a good thing, despite the fact that it might not have happened. And I just I laughed at John Avalon on CNN, they're, they're doing a new segment called like under review or some shit and where he walks it back and he's like, well, we should have waited on that. And he literally fucking says this standing in the studio, 10 feet away from Brianna Keelar. And it's like, <laughs> I don't want to hear from you asshole. I want to hear from the person who put it on the air. I want her to stare into a camera. I want her to apologize. And I want her to say, we won't do this again. And then I want her escorted off the premises. So she's never given a chance to do it again. And stopping short of that, we know that the fact is you're running a segment of oops are bad. We know that you're going to intend to do it again over and over again. The only good thing to come out of that is fucking Brian Stelter wasn't on the air to gaslight us into the hole. What did we get wrong? Well, you know, sometimes we goof. No, this wasn't a goof. It was a, it was a nationally coordinated effort through uh, ESPN, ABC News, CNN, and others to basically say this whole university is racist and we have to take this girl's word for it. And if you question this, you are also a racist. And once again, it's, it's like any one of these other incidences, whether it's Bubba Wallace or Duke Lacrosse or whatever like that, uh, if, it, if it usually sounds too good to be true, it, it, it's, it's usually true. And we're such a racist institutional country that we have a media that is constantly having to make incidences up of it happening. Um, and they're going to continue to do it because they know it inflames. They know what the reaction is that they're going to get. They know the, And so they know that it's going to draw eyeballs. The more controversial the story is, they know the reaction that it's going to get. And, and I would argue the interesting thing about how NBC is coming to the rescue of Fetterman simply because a couple of video clips trended on Twitter is also really telling. This is a national news organization who's basically coming to the defense and aid of a Pennsylvania Senate candidate. Um, and the reason, again, that they're doing so is because, one, they know it looks bad, and then, two, they know how close the Senate is. And so, you know, two more, two or three, four more of these, and they know that they could possibly lose the U.S. Senate, and they think that if that happens, then the next Democrat president won't be certified or something. So, Chris, I'll give you the last word, and then we're all going to get out of here and go to bed. Yeah, well, and it's 1130, so here's your late-night uh, uh, 90s music question. Uh, do you prefer Dinosaur Jr. or Sebado? Oh, God, I don't really like either, but if I had to pick, it would be Dinosaur Jr. 
I think I saw, I think I saw dinosaur junior open for someone years and years ago. Like, God, I I did. And I don't remember who it was. It was one of these like little nineties off the things band that made me seem cooler to my friends. Um, but I did see dinosaur junior open and I just, I, I'd never got it. I never really got dinosaur junior. They, They have a few tunes that I like. Um, but most of them are the radio hits. So, um, I would have to, if I had to choose as if I was picking a, a brain dead send candidate or a fake celebrity doctor, I'd probably go with dinosaur junior. Oh, they're not, neither of those are that bad. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. And th- again, I, I appreciate you being, be, staying up till 1130 and appreciate all, all that you do. I will, uh, <laughs> I, was on, I will, uh, let you, I was on fucking, I'll let was, you go to bed. I was on StubHub for five fucking hours today trying to cancel tickets for a show that were mislabeled and the seller, uh, he, they missed, they mislabeled the row that the seats were in. They were supposed to be in a reserved and they were in general admission. And then the tickets got sent to the wrong place, so I didn't have them. So StubHub had to issue a refund or a credit. And then I ended up with all four tickets because I logged into StubHub from an Apple ID. And then I ended up having to refund them. And so I was literally on the phone with StubHub for an hour. And then I had to hang up and go to the gym. And then I had to come back and get back on the phone with them. And then I had to do the podcast. And like halfway during the podcast, I'm still getting emails, which is why the podcast was late. And so I finished the podcast, recorded it, and then I got back on the phone with StubHub, and that ate into the time that I was going to come on here. And I finally, I finally just got a full refund from all the shenanigans, and I don't even fucking like the band anymore over this. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not even going to this show anymore. So it's been a bit of a day, but I'm, I, I, I certainly am not a brain surgeon. I don't have the hardest job in the world. So, jeez. All you had to say is that you didn't want to go see Arcade Fire. <laughs> I saw him. I saw Arcade Fire at Madison Square Garden, and that was awesome. I saw them like during the Reflector tour or their Pop Mart phase or whatever. And I don't think we're going to ever be seeing Arcade Fire again. So that was a good time to see them. So I actually got tickets for them. So oh, I might well, uh... let us know how it goes, and if and if they, they show up. So. <laughs> I... Them and Beck, so I I I will uh, keep you uh, up to up to date, and I'll think of uh, another uh, uh, '90s clash uh, for your next late late night show. And bye uh, and goodbye. All right, man. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and remove you. Get out of here. All right. Uh, ran a little bit over, but that's okay. I wanted everyone to get their uh, to get their words in. So this has been episode 42. Uh, Fetter Wrapped, which was kind of a take on Fetty Rap, but whatever. They're, all the names are stupid, as they're supposed to be. Uh, like I said, we're going to see how this all shakes out. Um, there's going to be more clips of this dude coming out, and we're going to obviously see more journals. And obviously, they, they've they've done what they do best, which is escalate uh, an information war, which means now they're going to try to get accounts banned that show clips of Fetterman. Or, again, I would maintain that they'll do it under deceptive video or even uh, making fun of a disability. I would not be shocked to see that happen, and I would not be shocked to see Twitter cave. So we'll see. Um, and, and, again, that election is obviously in two months. So. Uh, I am Stephen L. Miller. I will be back on Patreon tomorrow. <laughs> Late. Um, I do have a piece coming out at Spectator about Stelter joining Harvard. It's probably not what you think. I actually said, okay, who cares? Um, let Brian go be who he should have always been in the first place. And then I should have a uh, a piece coming out at Examiner on this nationwide rail strike that we're seeing, which looks like it's another catastrophe that just snuck up 
on the Biden administration and they don't know how to handle it, uh, which is odd because of Amtrak Joe is his thing. And we have a ch- transportation secretary who his whole thing was trains, but he's too busy writing medium posts about uh, what a great gay father he is. So I don't know. Good for him in that respect. Uh, we all get the shaft. So I should be on Patreon tomorrow. Uh, you're free to leave me comments, questions over there as well. And those of you know that I do try to get around to answering some of those uh, in the last half of the podcast. So we'll be there. Um, I'm going to maybe try to do one or more of these this week, maybe Friday or Saturday. So keep your ears, uh, keep your ears open and your eyes peeled and that'll do it. Everyone go to bed, get out of here. It's late. And, uh, I will see you all tomorrow on Patreon. Cheers.